I love sharing information and I love receiving information. And I think that's the key thing for anyone on this journey is that you must be willing to learn. I am never the smartest person in the room, never ever. No matter how much I know or how much I think I know, I, I'm never the smartest person in the room. And there's always somebody that's smarter than me, but it's being humbled enough to bring yourself down to listen. I think that's probably the greatest piece of advice that I've got. From Exabeam, this is the new CISO, a show about the people who lead IT security teams, the challenges they face, and how they overcome them. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to hear our new episodes first. I'm Steve Moore, and today I speak with Sandro Bucchineri, CISO of the ABSA Group, about finding a mentor early on in your career, why he chose to use his security experience to help others, and the success he's had building a cybersecurity academy to lift young people in South Africa out of poverty while providing fresh talent to the industry. Cybersecurity is a tactical field, and the human element can sometimes take a back seat. But what if leaders were able or willing to dial their experience into a passion for helping those who need it most? Okay, Sandro, if you would please introduce yourself to the uh, uninitiated. <laughs> thanks, Stephen. Thanks for the, the chat today. Yes, yeah, so I'm Sandro Bucchianeri. I thought you didn't want to probably say the last name because you would have butchered it anyway. I'm Sandro Bucchianeri. I'm the uh, Group Chief Security Officer at APSA Group in um, South Africa. I would have probably messed that up, but I would have asked you. I typically only do first names anyway, uh, and that saves me the opportunity to make a fool of myself. I do say the first name, though, in the in the scene setter and intro later on in post-production, but uh, now I have audio of you saying it, so I'll fix that. No, I'm, I'm really, look, we had a, ch a chance to chat, uh, I don't know, a week or so ago, and then a little bit of this, uh, this morning for me, uh, afternoon, evening for you. One of the absolute best parts of my job is exactly this, and it's meeting people from all over the world that are solving interesting problems and aren't just saying the same thing over and over again which we sometimes see in this, in this industry. And so uh, for the listener, I'm putting, on a, putting him on a pedestal, but uh, this is, uh, I'm super excited about this. So to get into it, one of my first questions I always enjoy asking is just in general, what advice would you have given to your younger self? This is a mentoring, uh, mentorship question. So just out of the gate, what, what, uh, what advice do you have to the, to, the, to the newer, younger listener? Yeah, there would be two things. I would tell myself to breathe. Take a breath, just relax. Things have a way of working itself out. So breathe is very, very important. And the second thing, which is probably the most important thing, is go to the damn gym. That part is probably more important than the first because your health is important. And in being a CISO is exceptionally stressful for the most part. And having the ability to you know, work long hours and, and handle stress, uh, I think exercise is a, is a key component to that. In that, because you mentioned stress management certainly working out is a is a great way to manage that and and i would even when i wasn't able to work out like i used to even making sure i walked for an hour was a great way for me to not only reduce stress but also you know get some level of exercise i had an injury but what other from a mental perspective so that's sort of the physical and these are interrelated yeah. but breathing is part of that i suppose but in terms of being a better leader and managing these problems, do you have any advice there? Yeah, so I would have loved to learn to meditate much 
earlier in my career, um, because we've, we've set up that cybersecurity academy, which I'm sure we'll chat about, they talk about transcendental meditation. And it's amazing that, you know, when you change your mindset, bring yourself to a, a, a space of quiet and calm, uh, you think clearly, you have more energy. So yeah, I think that's probably the other piece of advice I would have given myself is learn to meditate much sooner than I, than I did. You said you wanted, you wish you would have done that earlier. Roughly how old were you when you began to sort of adopt that, that into your day? Probably two years ago. So just after I turned 40, okay. I started adopting it into my day. And when, when the academy essentially started you know, three years ago, it's when we brought this into, into the program, I think that that's when I would have, well, that's when I started it. But yeah, I would have loved to do it much sooner in my career. It's put you in a completely different frame of mind. It's only 20 minutes morning and evening, uh, but you'll, you'll automatically start, start to feel a difference within the first week. So this is something that I find fascinating because you are the second person that's brought this up. The other, the other gentleman we've not yet uh, had on the show, we've not recorded the show, but he brought this up. And I'll, and I'll tell you in the States, you know, 10 years ago, if you went up and you're going to talk about meditation <laughs> as it relates to information security, security leadership, let's say, most of the people, I think many of them would have been like, what? What is this nonsense? Like, we don't have time for this. We got to stop you know, attacks and we got to do this other stuff. At least here in the States, I'm finding that people are very much warming up to the concept of this as an element of health, mental health. How were you introduced to it? I mean, you, you, you've mentioned the Academy a couple of times, but you turn 40, you start meditating. It's 20 minutes. Like what was the trigger? Was it, was it the Academy or was it something else? Well, the Academy was one part of it. Um, I met a, an amazing individual called Dr. Taddy Bletcher. He's a co-founder of the Maharishi Institute, who we partner with for the Academy. And he, he, he tells his story better than any, anyone can. I'll try and paraphrase. He basically said, no, he was doing, he was in university college uh, for the uh, Americans in the audience. And he was... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> he was doing actuarial science. So I don't know how much you know about actuarial science, but it's probably one of the most difficult things in the world to study. Uh, and he was flunking out. And he got introduced to meditation by his mom. And um, long story short, at the end of that uh, year, he basically aced every single one of his exams. He aced everything. And, uh, and he put it all down to meditation. I thought, no, this is not, this is absolute nonsense. And I don't subscribe to this airy fairy things. But then no, listening to that story, seeing it in action with the academy, with the students, taking my own daughter, who was in her final year of school and, and, and struggling as well to focus, teaching her. The, we went on a meditation program together as a family. So it was a great bonding exercise as a family. And then her results showing a completely turn, complete turnaround. I thought, okay, fine, there is some method to this madness. So yeah, so let's, let's try it out and incorporate it into your day. Now, uh, to be fair, I don't do it every single day. Uh, no, that's me. That's on me. But when I do do it and when I, and, and I feel I'm anxious or whatever the case may be, I start meditating 20 minutes, quiet time, and the work's a charm. So I don't currently meditate, but I've had some things happen recently where I've said that I had to center myself a little bit. And so you center your, your thinking and you kind of bring yourself back into calm. And that has been helpful, but I don't do it on a regular basis. I haven't had any sort of education around it, but I wish, like you said, I had done something similar earlier in my life. I was had quite the combustible temperament, as some might say, <laughs> and was known. I, I was 
in my career early on, I was the person typically that got sent in to go bust up a bad situation and, and fix it to get it right, to put out a fire. Uh, and that led into, you know, there's elements both politically and technically that I was then put into and then, you know, moved up. But you run hot, right? High blood pressure, high everything. You're just pissed off and you've got this this sick feeling in you. And so I wish I had, uh, uh, I could have used that. It, it would have helped me, I think, in many ways. Probably would have kept me from sending some some pretty aggressive emails, at least. <laughs> yeah, well, definitely. So, so you're doing this, and this is this is an element. And by the way, we're going to get into the academy, which uh, I think that there's it's something extremely interesting that you're involved in and, and leading. We're going to save that for later uh, in the show. But just quickly, it's 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 not only an educational platform, but it's really a way to, from my assessment to pull people from, from poverty effectively, right? And for those that have no defined future, it's giving them that, but it's looking at them holistically, yeah. which is even uh, shared on the site. So before we jump into that, though, you are also a seemingly a student of Simon Sinek as well. You talked to me about going in, talking to a classroom around 2018 and asking everyone why they were there. Share with us what that was like and what the answers were and, and how you managed that, if you would. Yeah, no. So, so, so yeah, no, I love Simon Sinek and his teachings. I, I went into a, uh, when the academy started, for example, I, no, I went into this room and I asked a simple question. I know, paraphrase Simon Sinek, I asked, why are you here? And every single one of the 24 hands went up and they put their fingers together and they rubbed it together and basically giving, giving me the sign of money, the year for money. So I said, yeah, no, money is important because, you no. Know, buys you things and you you can get food on the table and all those things. But when I changed it, tried to change your perspective, I said, yeah, money is important, but are you here because of your your parents or your grandparents and your siblings that you want to make sure that they are well provided for, that there's food on the table, there's clothes on their back, there's a roof over their head? That completely changed the dynamic of the question and their thinking around it. And then they said, yeah, that's exactly why we are here is to make sure that we can provide a better life for ourselves and for our loved ones. And that's why I think you know, knowing your why is so important in security specifically and in life so that you can approach things differently. Now, anybody can earn cash, whether you, you know, have a paper route or you're working in a grocery store and any of those things, there's a hundred ways to get cash, but it's knowing why you are doing that which is is what import, is important. For those that might do some mentorship that listen, and I know there's many that do, navigating this I think is important, but I don't know that everyone still gets it. So I think that that first maybe if you could give your kind of assessment of of Simon's why, kind of the wrong order maybe, I'm putting you on the spot, but I know you'll know this. Why is why the question? And and then Maybe talk a little bit about why is it why is it right to get the motive correct amongst especially those you're mentoring. So why is why most important, and then why were you even asking that to these kids or these young adults? Yeah, it's it's a, to inspire them to think differently, right? If you you you've grown up in a system or, or in an educational system or in a society that focuses on a specific thing. If I think of the American dream. There's this great American dream, come to the land of prosperity and, and you'll be prosperous, uh, etc. 
But how you get there and what you're going to do to get there is one element of it. But knowing why you are doing that is very, very important. So using your own story, using your background, where you come from. So if you've grown up in absolute poverty and you go hungry to bed and in the, at night and, and you don't know where your next meal is coming from and all those kind of things, that is a very, very powerful motivator for you to do something different and to change your circumstances. So if you take all of that and plug it into your drive for, in, in the case of the academy, to, no, to, to get better education, improve your circumstances, that's a very, very powerful motivator. Uh, whereas you're going to work to get some cash to buy something. Right. Uh, that, there's a very different dynamic that way. So I think it's tapping into your, yourself, into your own experience and your own past and your own circumstances that makes a difference. I think if you only focus on the money, it deprives you the opportunity to use the emotion that's behind all the rest of it. 100%. You know, there's, there's every now and then I, I share bits and pieces of my own past and there's different versions. Uh, certainly American poverty is different than world poverty, but there's still cases where not everyone in the States has maybe all they should need to eat or maybe even heat when it's cold or things like this. And that's, you know, proper even, you know, sanitation facilities, these sorts of things. I won't go deep into that, but I can tell you that experiencing that is in fact a great motivator. It can do one or two things. It can break the person into believing that that's the way they should be forever, or it can be the motivator like you've never seen before. And so that I'm fascinated to hear how you are exploring that with those that are had a rough start at life. And then on the backside of that, working on this, this holistic view of wellness and health and then education to answer a larger problem, which speaking of why, is often what's thrown around, at least here in the States, of, well, we have a talent problem. We've got, we've got a headcount shortage. Huh. You're, you've inverted the whole thing. No, correct. Which is, I think, getting into, getting into real symptoms or getting into real causes when everyone else is throwing around symptoms. No, exactly. And, and no, you talk about poverty in the States versus poverty in Africa versus poverty in Asia, etc. Poverty is poverty. It's the circumstances of somebody that their society is showing them that this is how society normally lives. This is the norm in society. You are well below that. doesn't matter where in the world you are. Obviously, if mm. I'm viewing it from an African perspective, looking at poverty in the US, I could look at it completely different because, yeah, I'm walking on dirt roads and I'm you know, struggling to make ends meet, etc. But the same principle applies in the US, in Asia, et cetera, where my peers are all living comfortably in large houses with central heating and all those kind of things that I'm struggling to make sure the gas is turned on and, and, and getting a job and working three jobs, et cetera. So that's a different poverty, but it's still poverty. So, so that's the important thing. I think the thing that we miss in security is that we focus too much on the technical side and we completely miss the EQ side. We miss the soft skills. You must go and try you know, get you know, 20 certs Make sure you're well qualified on the tech side, but there's no emotional maturity in any way or form to deal with a crisis. So if your organization's under attack, how are you going to deal with that when you are under pressure, where the board is coming to you, where your, your management is coming to you saying, hey, Sandro, hey, Steve, what's happening here? And you can't deal with it. Technically, you're perfect, but you shut down because you can't deal with stress. So there's that element to it and, and how we focus on it uh, from an emotional perspective. Completely true. I have had the, the benefit 
of having that exact scenario happen in my career where a crisis happens and it's amazing some people step into the crisis and others retreat from it and that's perfectly natural but some of the people that retreat or retreated from it were pretty senior or weren't necessarily as plugged in as they should have been and i think that if you are focused on mental health and focused on eq in particular which if you said EQ back to 10 years ago, I mentioned that no, pe- no one was talking about it then. No, very few were talking about it five years ago. So to have that, the concept of servant leadership, how does the behavior of the leader change the demeanor and the, frankly, the, the strength of the team? Uh, I don't think we spend enough on that. I think to your point, it's we focus on the technology because that's what got us here. If we want to evolve, it's going to be more on what you're bringing to the table. Yeah my opinion. Talk to me a little bit about that crisis management, that the strength in a crisis. And it sounds like you were citing real examples there, potentially. I don't want specifics. That yeah. doesn't do us any good necessarily. But if that's what you experienced, you know, my guess is, is that a crisis happens and the leadership goes crazy and that doesn't do any good for anybody. So maybe expand on that if, if that's the case. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I'm unfortunately dealt with many crises or crises over the more than two decades that I've been, been in security. And, and the one thing that's, that holds true, the calmest person in the room wins the race, essentially. Not that it's a race, but if I start panicking as the person responsible and accountable for security for the organization, everybody's going to start panicking because they're basically it's like the captain. You know, if, if I was on a ship and the ship's going down and I start freaking out, everybody's going to freak out. But if I remain calm, doesn't matter who's around, doesn't matter if it's a board member, the chairman of the board, whatever the case may be, you need to exude confidence in, an, in a crisis and remain calm. Otherwise, your, your staff is going to start panicking. They're going to start stressing out. And then you never get, you know, your, the stress will go through the roof and you won't see the wood through, through the trees. And that's part of the, the learnings I've had is that remain calm and you'll start thinking through things much easier than you had in the past. One of the things that I thought was a, an interesting and accidental observation that I had, so going into a variety of, of organizations now at this point, but SLT, ELT, board meetings, from those experiences, I asked some folks, I was on a panel, I said, you know, what do, what do people in power do? Or what do they don't, what do they not do? And, and there's lots of answers. And I said, if you're in the presence, if it's your first big time meeting, if you watch their behavior, no one is in a real hurry to answer. And often tech people are fast with data, fast to give an answer. They're on the edge of their seat to speak. So my advice, and this is maybe a little bit lame, but it actually works, is just pause. So important people aren't in a hurry to say anything because you're on their time, right? They're, they can wait as long as necessary. So take a moment, just like you began and said, breathe pause. Pause for five, 10 seconds, maybe more before you answer. Chill out. And I had some people laugh, but other people came up to me after and were like, yeah, that's actually really good advice. And to your other point, I was used to say, you know, comfort and confidence. You have to exude those things. Think of all the people you have to meet that you've never met before in a crisis typically. And so they're, you're, that, that's your introduction. No, so I completely, spot on. completely agree. This is interesting. So you, you also shared with me 
something that you claim that you just learned about board discussions. I was asking you about preparation, and there's a difference of human behavior between the outside of a board meeting and the individual in the inside. What is that? So if you don't, you need to understand the human condition or the human being, right? If I use sports, sports is the perfect analogy for lots of things. Whether it's football or American football, you notice that it's not called soccer. Anybody you are playing against, any team you're preparing to play against, you need to understand that team. And they may have played a great game against Team A, but they may not do the same thing when they're playing in the final of a championship or Super Bowl or uh, a World Series Game 7, you know, scores are tied, etc. They'll show up differently. Because there's more on the there's more at stake. There's more on the line. So I think the example I was talking to you about, which I learned recently, is that you know, the thing that about when people keep asking, how do I get my relationships? How do I build my relationships? I keep saying coffee. I buy a lot of coffee. I have a lot of conversations, and I build a relationship that way. But my relationship with a board member, for argument's sake, you know, when I'm just having a casual chat or when I'm having a catch-up, is very, very different than the actual board meeting. Now, our IT committee board meeting or our you know, audit committee board meeting, etc. Because the individual showing up for my coffee chat is a very different individual showing up at a board meeting because they have a regulatory duty to perform their role or their function in that meeting. So you may get along with me great now, but if I've done something wrong or whatever, you, know, you will be a completely different person in that boardroom meeting. Because right. your own livelihood is at stake. And it's not to you know, take me out in the meeting or anything like that, but you have to ask those tough questions because you have to be doing your job as a board member in that board meeting. So I think that's the difference which people don't realize is that, oh, no, the board member really rung me out for you know, saying this, that, and the other in this board meeting, but you know, we just had a great chat last week. And, and that's the, the key difference uh, in, in how we show up with those relationships. I think there's still many that not even at the coffee point. I think there's many CISOs, at least here in the States, that are, they're not even there yet. They are not even maybe exercising that. They may not even have the opportunity to, to have a regular audience, even with the audit committee. I see that. I hear that. But let's say they're getting there. Let's say they are having coffee. Let's say it's the two of us. I love free coffee. So we're going to meet. <laughs> we're going to meet. And we're going to have a friendly chat. And depending on how devious or unfriendly or, or um, Machiavellian they are, they may be using you just as much as you're trying to use. I say use, but yeah, you're I get trying to get into the head. Right? But how do you navigate that? Because you want to know them as a person because that's part of your network and, and you want to get to know them and there's some light chat. But you need to prepare. You need to get into their head to know where they're coming from. So what's their history? Like what, how are you prepping in that? How are you, how do you utilize that 30 minutes or hour that you have? Just on your first point, if, if somebody is not getting time with a, a senior leader or a board member, et cetera, I would ask why, what are you doing that you're not getting there? Because every single person on this planet is human. They are, they have, they have problems just like you have. You know, in South Africa, for a perfect example, I, I spoke to our CEO not, uh, a couple of years ago uh, and she was saying, Oh no, she needs to get airtime for her mom, and uh, no, they need to buy prepaid electricity because we have prepaid electricity meters in South Africa. Otherwise, uh, the, the flat's going to run out of electricity and the fridge is going to go off and all those kind of things. So that's a very, very 
normal problem to have, but this is the CEO of a multinational organization. So humanizing the individual is key to breaking down those barriers. And then when you are, are, are in front of the person that you're now lucky enough to get 15 or 30 minutes with, I believe in, in three simple things. Remain authentic, be honest, and be transparent. Those things will go a hell of a long way than trying to BS your way through conversations. Uh, and it doesn't matter who you're speaking to, wh what, where they rank in, in life. Those three things are important because they will stand, the person will remember for remaining authentic and being honest and open and transparent with them long after you've left the organization. And that's all that we can be is articulate the risk. And that's what CISOs don't do. We keep going uh, in the past. We kept going and saying, hey, I need $20 million to solve this problem. Now, $30 million to solve that problem. But you never, ever articulated the risk and why you need to do it. And if you didn't do it, this is what's going to happen. So I think it's those, those points from my experience is what will change the dynamic going forward. I mean, can we, uh, can we hear from you now what an example of you drove a hard line, and I think most know, but some may not, between just an ask for money maybe to buy tech or to buy or to, to build a capability versus communication of risk, which I would assume would also include a story around how to remediate it. But what is the path you take specific to the audience when talking about, because there's lots of risks. There's a, there's a, there's a boatload of risks and, and you only have a short amount of time yeah. to kind of lay all that out. So what's, what's your approach there when you're in the meeting? So not in the one-on-one -on -one, or do you prime risk in the one-on-one. -on -one. Let's go maybe take that route if it applies. So it depends on the person you're speaking to, right? So if the person has decent understanding of security or risk, etc. that's a good starting point. I got this great piece of advice way back in 2005 when I did my training for CISSP. It was Dr. Eric Cole. He's a SANS trainer. He runs Secure Anchor. He's a legend he's in the show. Yeah, he's probably been he's on, been the, on show. the show. Yeah, He said something that still sticks with me today, and I mean, it's like 16 years on now. He said, if you can couple business acumen with your security uh, stroke tech skills, you've got it made. And that's stuck with me since then till today. And that's exactly what I do. I need to understand the business. I need to understand you know, what are our revenue targets? How do we make profit? How do we reduce cost to income ratios? All those things. Not that I particularly like finance in any way or form. Don't get me wrong. But because I understand that when I go and speak to a board member or an exco member, et cetera, I understand their business. I understand what makes them tick. I can then come to them and say, look, no, Steve, this is what I understand you guys are going through. This is what I believe are your major risk points from a reputation perspective. And if we got hacked for this system, it's a reputational damage, it's um, uh, fines, et cetera. This is what we need to do to mitigate this risk. So I'm basically laying it all out for them. And then, no, we can go and fix this. It's going to cost $20 million. Or you can accept the risk and just let, let's move forward. Um, or if you don't want to, we can spend X amount less than the $20 million, uh, And this is the, the level of risk we'll bring it to. The moment you start having a risk-based stroke business-based discussion with these leaders, it completely changes the dynamic and the view that they have of you that, oh, here's another security person coming to ask for more money for more toys. I think that's a good point, a good differentiation to make there. In your perspective, in your experience, I'll say, what are the movers? So obviously the business is there to 
make money, there's costs, there's lots of things to navigate. Many different headwinds, especially today. But for us, I think the as we translate, what are all the movers? Is it is it is it lack of availability? Is it is it erosion of trust? Is it is it reputation? What are the the translation mediums that you use rather than talking about specific attacks or things of that nature? I mean, is that how are you representing these at a high level to them? So, so I tied into the customer. I, in my business, the customer is king. The customer is at the center of everything that we do. So that customer experience is a very important and powerful tool to use when we talk into the business. So I know that in, in order to get you know, better customer numbers and, and get that, that make sure that there's no customer attrition and all those kind of things, I then tie it back into if my website was hacked or if my banking app was hacked, that would then lead into customers not trusting the organization as a whole because they believe they'll tie directly to their money is not safe in the organization. So when you start linking these kind of events that you're linking the business on and what they are focused on, so the customer in this example, to your bank account, your mobile banking application, et cetera, and you're linking those things, it makes the conversation a whole lot easier uh, to translate to your, your business exec or your business sponsor to get more cash or to buy into what you are selling. I think we could all use additional help and coaching on this type of work. And I don't know that there's one central place where this exists, honestly, which is kind of confusing for a, for a position or positions that are excellent career. There's credentialing that goes with it. It's on the news all the time. There's no centralized body of knowledge for this kind of thing. You know, you referenced Eric Cole and some of the lessons he shared with you 15 years ago or more, which I, I again, I smiled because he was, he was just on the show and got kind of a funny history there too. I worked with him ages ago on a class as a, as a writing curricula, not for a CISSP prep, but a, a tech, a tech uh, class. He's a, a wild guy full of energy, but has a lot of great ideas. But for you, you've shared these bits and, and pieces that you've picked up from your whole life. Is there any place that you go or ha- have gone that have been a, a great source of, of coaching on how to be a better executive or a, maybe a better leader? I know you read Simon's stuff, but I mean, where do you go? What, what do you, is it just life or is there something more specific? Well, there's a, there's a mix of it. There's no central, here's the golden source of truth and I'm going there and I'm getting all these tidbits, right? Because if, I, if there was such a thing, I will gladly be sharing it. But what I've learned very early on in my c- career is I need to latch onto mentors and not just technical gurus or security savants. It's business leaders as well. And we've unfortunately just had the passing of Peter McClary, who was our uh, deputy CEO, a phenomenal individual, phenomenal business leader, phenomenal mentor who would talk about a whole host of things. And one of the key things he, he reiterated that I learned also very long ago was your ability to listen. Because you, exactly to your point you made earlier about you know, tech people are always straight out of the blocks. The moment the question is asked, you, you gun for the answer instead of just waiting, being patient and listening. And I think that's probably the most fundamental teaching that I've learned is that you need to listen before you can answer and actually listen. Because remember, most people listens to answer. 
rather than the other way around where you're trying to just take in, absorb what the person is trying to say, what their problems are, etc., and then thinking through it and then answering. And I think that's probably the key thing. But no, in terms of golden source, no, there's nothing. I do a lot of reading and, and also life experience on how I've grown up, my background and those kind of things. So it's, it's, a, it's a combination of things. I love sharing information and I love receiving information. Uh, and I think that's the key thing for anyone on this journey is that you must be willing to learn. I am never the smartest person in the room, never, ever. No matter how much I know or how much I think I know, I, I'm never the smartest person in the room. And there's always somebody that's smarter than me. But it's being, uh, being humble enough to you know, l- bring yourself down to listen. I think that's probably the greatest piece of advice that I've got. Absolutely. And I think if you're ready to listen, hopefully you're in a better spot to maybe consider a different perspective as well. So if you will calm your mind enough to take in the new information, maybe you'll actually do something with it, which in leadership is important especially as you move up, you may have been the expert in something in the past, but now you need to surround yourself with them, not try to be that necessarily anymore. I, you mentioned Simon Sinek earlier. One of my favorite books is Leaders Eat Last. And the whole thing is effectively, even says it in the jacket of the book, something to the effect of they must be willing to sacrifice. A leader must be willing to sacrifice their own comfort maybe even survival in some extreme examples, especially in in military, but for the good of those in their care. And I don't think we think about this enough. Uh, I don't think we consider it, especially in security, back into EQ and servant leadership, even simple, silly things. I can remember years ago when iPhones came out, we were switching from Blackberries to iPhones. Who got the fancy new phones first? It was all all the executives, all the managers, directors, vice presidents, they had all the fancy stuff first. And who was left with the crap? Who always eats last, but who should eat first? How should security leaders, Sandro, in your, from your perspective, as it relates to, to comfort, how do we make our staff and the people in our care more comfortable, according to you? So I think the biggest one for me is allowing your people to fail. And as a security person, that's a very, that's just like a going against the grain, right? saying that you must allow your people to fail simply because the moment you instill this perfection culture which we have tend to create in security your people are going to fail inevitably and then what happens then oh no they leave their role in the organization because they don't want to fail and they move on to the next thing so i think allowing our, our staff to fail is probably one of the greatest things that you can allow them to do fool me once shame on you fool me twice shame on me that type of concept right is is the same. So allowing your people to fail and fail fast so that you can learn those lessons and then move forward. Now, if you think of any RCA that you've done over the years, there's always a lessons learned section. But how often do you actually pay attention to the lessons learned? Because that's, that's probably the most important thing about the RCA. No, this is what happened. This is what we've done to resolve it. But that lessons learned part is probably the greatest piece of information that you can glean out of a document like that. And that's what I think leaders need to do in security specifically. Just allow your people to fail, allow them to learn. No, push them for sure. Because I'm exceptionally, I'm, I'm not a slave driver as such, but I do push my people quite hard, but I also allow them space to fail. And, and I think that's probably the key thing for me. That's extremely important. And those that have listened to the show, I know have heard me 
uh, talk about this often is we need our, especially new people, younger people new to the profession, they need to innovate and they need to take risks. And if you are pushing in that regard, like you were just discussing, taking risks, trying to innovate, because our adversaries sure are, we need that on, on the defense. But there comes a risk of failure. And so depending on what failure is to you and your organization, it might mean an outage. It might mean an extra change window has to be open. It might mean an extra call with a vendor. It, who knows what it means? But you need to be ready to own that failure and to allow for it to be okay. Otherwise, you are going to beat mediocrity into that team flat out. Yep. And so you, you want people making mistakes. And if your team is not, if they're so terrified of mistakes, if, when I go in and speak with especially a, a security operations center or leadership team, uh, if I see that, if, if, if there's a fear of outage, an unnatural fear of failure, that's a, that's a poisoned environment. That well has been poisoned and will take a long time to fix. So I, I completely agree with your sort of your sentiment on that. Anything else on, the, on that front related to kind of team culture? You've, you've got a lot of ideas. Uh, anything, what sort of step two beyond acceptable failure? failure? Is a banter. Banter is the source of all things. You have to have a good relationship with each other that you can make fun of each other. I make fun of myself all the time, and so does my team. But I make I give it as good as I get it, and and that's important in building that camaraderie, in building that culture, and it's, and it goes across the spectrum, right? It's not just male males, it's male and female, because we tech security is a predominantly male focused world. But I've got lots of females in my team that gives it you know, banter as, as best as, as, as we, we give it overall. But I think banter is exceptionally important to build that culture and a fun place to work. You spend a hell of a lot of time at the office. Not that you can go to the office now, but you spend a lot of time at work outside of home and you must make it fun. Why would you want to go to work? And, you know, and I always say this all the time. If you wake up in the morning and you roll out of bed and you're thinking, oh, damn it, I have to go to work today then get back into bed and rather don't come to the office. But if you're getting out of bed and excited, you can't wait to get to the office. No, that brings a completely different dynamic to the organization and to your function. Uh, and that's what I want people to, to do and, and to be because I know for a fact as a leader, my staff will then go the extra mile because it's a great place to work. The culture's great. Remuneration is always important. But no, those other things, the total compensation is essentially where we want to get to. You mentioned something earlier that I think falls in line with this. You want folks around, no matter what title or level they are, to be comfortable around you. So when I was a staff VP in a room of lots and lots of folks of lots of different ranks and backgrounds, even though I was the one that had to own the responsibility, I never wanted any of them to be nervous or afraid to be around me. And some of them might have been a little bit because they were young and, and you know, not, not familiar with the professional world of, of, of working in large companies quite yet. But you said three things earlier that I think apply equally. And we were talking about getting ready for the board, but this is just people. Uh, authentic, honest, and transparent. You know, when I shared with people when I was, you know, hey, I, I'm nervous about this, or here's what I'm not good at, but here's what I'm great at. You know, here's be human, right? Share your failures and insecurities, and but also be ready to joke about different things. Get to know them as a human, as a person, and know what what drives and motivates them. I I really, I've never heard it mentioned as banter, but I actually I 
banter, there's a there's positive byproducts of banter, which fall into, I think, the rest of the vibe of what this is. So I really I, I like that as a as a tool, right? How much are you connecting with your staff? And have you connected enough where you can tell a joke or 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 be the brunt of one, right? To say, hey, to, to, to receive a joke. Are they comfortable enough? Have has anybody included you in their joke? That might be a measure. Yeah, and exactly. <laughs> that is definitely a measure. And I am the butt of many, many jokes. And that's okay. Because I don't take myself too seriously. And we're all there to try and get through the day to protect the organization against the bad guys. And that's what we're there to do. So yeah, so no, having fun is part of the journey. I would like to spend, we're getting a little bit close on time, but one of the most important things I think we can maybe jump into a, a little more deeply, and we've, we've mentioned it several, is the, the academy itself. And I think we will include in the show notes the link. I think it's important for the listeners, which are now thankfully all over the world, to maybe get your introduction into it and maybe uh, how to access information about it. And maybe there's an opportunity to replicate it at some level for the extremely ambitious. But is there, maybe talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing. You know, there's, 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 several years worth of students in there now getting ready to go into year three. What does it mean to the lives of these individuals? And what are you most excited about as it relates to this, this wonderful program you've helped create and you're involved in, right? Tell us about that. The Academy was always, I've always wanted to give back. Right? I, I firmly believe there's no point in being blessed to travel around the world, work for global organizations over the last you know, 15 to 16 years and not coming back to South Africa and give back. In South Africa, the big problem is we've got a massive youth unemployment rate. Now we've got a 55.9% youth unemployment rate for 18 to 24 year olds. Well, that's insane. So there were, and then obviously coupled with the global cybersecurity shortage at the time, it was three and a half million. It's now set up at 4 million. I thought, okay, fine. If we can link these two problems, we can try and solve some of these problems. Now, I'm not going to be able to train three and a half million people a year. I'm not going to be able to uplift, you no, know, however many millions uh, youth is on the bench, essentially, or sitting at home or sitting on a street corner, drinking with their buddies. I can't do any of those things. But what I can do is I've got, I've got, I'm very passionate about cybersecurity. I want to help alleviate this problem, you know, set up an academy of sorts. So that's how this, this whole thing started. The funny thing is that cybersecurity is a byproduct of all of it. Yes, I love cybersecurity. I'm passionate about it. But my main goal and focus is to help alleviate poverty and uplift the youth. That's the key goal for what we're trying to do. So cybersecurity is great that we can get some really strong uh, students out of the academy. But that's what we're trying to do. So we started the academy. Originally, it was an internal co two internal cohorts that we ran to train our staff that was going through potential retrenchment. We took 20 kids, uh, 20 staff members through the first cohort, another 20 through the second cohort. I wasn't hopeful that you know, we would get many passes out of that. Uh, I was hoping three or four. All 20 of them passed the first, the first cohort. 17 of the 20 passed the second cohort. But out of the, that, I could only hire, out of the 40 or so students that there were, I could only hire about 24. And that made me realize I can't, keep hiring juniors into my organization because I have a headcount restriction. I've got a budget that I need to work toward, et cetera. And that's where I then linked it to the external component and how we then partnered with the Maharishi Institute 
to set up this academy. And the Maurish Institute's a free university in South Africa that's taken about 19,000 kids through tertiary education over a period of 19 years and with great success. So we've partnered with them to deliver this academy. Uh, it's a three-year program now. Um, you'll share the website link where people can get more detail. And you take a three-year program where you do your A+, N+, S+, in your first year. You then go into year two and you do your Cisco CCNA CyberOps and Cisco CCNA DevNet, as well as Python programming in year two. And then now year three, where some of these students are now entering into another 24 of them, uh, they can then specialize. So there's several tracks. They can either go the pen testing route, you know, network engineering, or platform engineering, cloud, etc. And then at the end of that, they'll qualify and then they can either just come to work for us and we'll obviously choose a couple of students and or go into one of the many partners that subscribe to the academy because they also need skill. So that's that, that's the academy in a nutshell. Like I said, the, the most important thing for me, which ties back to that why, is to uplift these students from their circumstances that they find themselves in. Because uh, there, there's a stat that the Maharishi always shares. And they said, now for every one uh, female student that you train, it impacts seven generations that follow. Because you know, of just the mom goes to study, then the kids, and so on and so forth. 70% of our, our students are all female, which is phenomenal, which is fantastic from a diversity perspective. Amazing. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, we're very proud of the academy and where we find ourselves. The only thing I would love to change is to train more than 24 a year. Um, and that's what we're working on next. But yeah, that's, that's in a nutshell of, of where we find ourselves. I think another, a couple important distinctions too. One thing from the site, which I enjoy, it said that you're focusing on consciousness-based education and the balancing of emotional skill, not just technical competence, social skill, not just computer knowledge. I know in many cases that those that have never worked in a professional setting, that can be a shock as well. So what is social etiquette? What is, what's it like being working for a, maybe a larger company? What is, you know, mentally, how should I approach my day? I really appreciate the fact that you are attempting to tackle that as well. I don't know if you had a, a, a thought to share there, but that, that's incredibly important. Yeah. So uh, we mentioned it earlier in the call, right? And, and this is how I view it. Anyone can teach himself cyber. You can go into Udemy, you can go to a cloud guru, you can go to a whole host of platforms and go and learn about you know, tech and security, et cetera. That's great. But it's not very easy to learn the EQ stroke softer side of things. And that's why it's a consciousness-based program. We're focusing on the whole human. And just like I said in the beginning about meditation, where I thought talked about airy-fairy, I didn't buy into the airy-fairiness of it. I don't know what the, the correct term is, but that lighter touch, where you're talking about emotions and feelings and things like that, you typically don't deal with that. But that's what we focused on because 36% of the students that come through the program suffers from some form of PTSD. Now, if, you, you know, if, if you've been to war, that's essentially your, what you get out of war. And now that's where the, how these students are showing up. Try and study for a test and you're stressed out. It's, it's almost impossible to be successful. So that's why we focused on the whole being as uh, you know, the consciousness-based education to, to fix the whole human as best we can. Uh, and, and then give them the, the skills that will future-proof them you know, for 4IR and 5IR 
And that's essentially where we find ourselves. COVID has had a devastating effect on the world. uh, And it's been a terrible tragedy for those that have lost loved ones. But it's also given us the ability to work from anywhere. It doesn't matter where you are on the planet. It's accelerated digitization. It's accelerated the need to work. Now, you don't really need to pick up your family and move halfway across the world to do a job. You can do it from the comfort of your home. Whether you're in Cape Town, whether you're in Virginia, whether you're in Hong Kong, it doesn't really matter. You can work anywhere. And I think that's that's the beauty of of what we are trying to build is, is this student who gets the best of the technical world as well as the emotional side. Brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, I'm excited to to get the feedback when everyone gets to hear the show and, and learn more about it. And I, again, I can't thank you enough for spending time with us. I have one more question. Uh, that's what we ask all guests. Pursuant to the name of our show, uh, the new CISO, and you've covered a lot of this today, what does being a new CISO mean to you, sir? I think it's understanding that business is very important. And if you don't understand the business, if you keep coming with, hey, look at all these attacks that's happening left, right, and center, they are just going to glaze over and not pay you any attention. So I think as the new CISO needs to focus on the business, they need to focus on remaining humble and focus on on, on remaining authentic and being open, honest, and transparent. Those, Those are the key things, I think, for the new CISO that is going to be important for them to be continue to be successful. Thank you so much for being a part of our show. A brilliant guest, a brilliant man uh, doing very interesting things. I can't thank you enough for spending time with us today. Thank you, Sandra. Thanks, Steve. Anytime. That's it for this episode of the new CISO. Thank you for listening. Check out more episodes on exabeam.com forward slash podcast. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe to get brand new episodes first. 